Becky, five years old, is proud of her dad. She, uh, yesterday morning, the census taker stopped by the house. They're doing that nowadays. I don't know if they've been to your house or not. Anyway, he knocks on the door, and he says, honey, is your daddy home? She said, no, he's not. Called away on an emergency appendectomy. She's five. And he said, well, my goodness, honey, that's a pretty big word for such a little bitty girl. Do you know what that means? She said, I sure do. It means $15,500, and that doesn't even include the anesthesiologist. She <laughs> loved her daddy. Proud of her daddy, and he's proud of her. I was wondering this morning, <clears throat> as we're thinking about Father's Day, do you suppose our Heavenly Father's proud of us these days? Yeah or nay? It, what's the one thing in your life right now that you would work on to become a better person so he'd be happy, perhaps be more proud of you? One thing. I mean, some people right now are all about physical health. They, they want to lose weight. They want to get in shape. I just want to remind you that the healthiest, strongest man in the Bible was a guy by the name of Samson, and his life was a train wreck. So good luck with that. Some people today are all about financial peace, trying to get out of debt, trying to get a whole bunch of money together so they can be generous and have all they need through the rest of their life. Can I just remind you the story Jesus told about a rich guy that had the year of his life I mean, it's coming in so much, he didn't know what to do with it. So he tore down his little barns, and he built the bigger barns, and he stored up all his goods so he just have it forever. Remember what happened to him, right? Yeah, he died. He took a dirt nap. And that night when the funeral was over and the potato salad was all gone and everybody went home and went to bed, an angel came down from heaven in the middle of the night and wrote one word across the guy's tombstone. You remember what the word was? Fool. Fool. Okay, well, then I like this better with my career. I'm going to work on my career. Well, let me remind you that the most powerful, the, the most well-adapted man in Jesus' day was a guy by the name of Herod the Great, and he was a monster. All right, Cain, I guess I'll just work on my education. That's okay, isn't it? Well, yeah, I expect it is, but let me remind you, the smartest guy that ever walked this planet was a guy by the name of Solomon, and he ended up having a thousand wives. Did you hear me? The average woman speaks 28,500 words a day, a thousand wives, a thousand anniversaries, a thousand birthdays, a thousand mother-in-laws. That doesn't sound like a five-beta-kappa moment to me, you know what I mean? <laughs> See, here's my point. All kinds of things that we could work on to become better people, but there's only one thing that really makes a difference, and that's 1 Corinthians 13. And when I think about my dad on, on Father's Day, if you all remember my dad, this was him. This is what Paul writes. If I speak in the tongues of men and angels that have not love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all the mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but I have not love, I'm nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and I surrender my body to the flames, but I have nothing, I have not love, then I am nothing. You remember that passage, right? It's pretty clear. But in case it isn't, let's put it in modern terms. If I have as much money as Elon Musk, if I have as many Facebook friends as the Pope, though I have a BA at IU and an MBA at Rose-Hulman, though, though I solved the global energy prices and brought gas prices back down to $2, though I set philanthropic records, though I drive a Hummer that runs on compost if I don't have love, I have nothing. So according to Paul, everything minus love equals nothing. Now, just the opposite of that is true, too. If I have absolutely nothing, and you add to that love, then I have everything. So, obviously, Paul had learned how important love was by listening to Jesus, who said in Mark chapter 12, verse 30, love the Lord God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And then Jesus said, this sums everything up. 
All the laws, all the prophets, it all boils down to that. Why? Because you and I were made in the image of God, and God's image is love. That's his essence. So my question this morning is, if that's the area in our lives that we want to work on to become more loving people, then where should we go to get that done? I think here. Right here in this place. The grand purpose of the church of Jesus Christ is to spread the love of Jesus Christ everywhere they go. And I think if we're not careful as churches, we, do, we get real good at all kinds of other things, and we mess this one up. So I want to talk a little bit about that today. I wasn't really sure. I told him first service, I wasn't really sure if we were still doing words matter or not, and I wanted to pick some powerful words of love that we're going to talk about here in a few minutes. But I want to remind us again what Paul said in 1 Timothy 1, 5, that the goal of our instruction is to love from a pure heart and a good conscience and sincere faith. In other words, our goal as Christian men and women is not to become people who know a lot, it's to become people who love a lot, just like Jesus. And again, if we don't remind ourselves of that as a church, we can have a problem with it. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1, knowledge puffs up. And we've talked about this, man. We have all the knowledge right now at our fingertips. We can Google anything. We are so smart, we got it all figured out. Knowledge puffs up, Paul says. Love builds up. One guy asked it this way. He said, why do so many churches today seem to be jerk factories? And it's true. And listen, it's okay to have jerks in the church. In fact, we're supposed to attract them, but we're not supposed to mass produce them. Dallas Willard one time said, it's a rare church indeed that you find the practice of what Jesus said to love each other the way I've loved you. It's rare, he said, and I believe that. And I think that goes on here. I think it has for a long time. Let's continue to be a rare church. Let's continue to remind ourselves that we were designed by God to grow a community of abnormally loving people who the greatest among us are not the richest and the smartest and know the most about the Bible, and the greatest among us are not the greatest givers and the best socially and the best speakers. The greatest among us are the people who love, because that's where greatness is, to love like Jesus did. And listen, to love like Jesus did means that we're not about ourselves anymore. We're about the people around us, growing them up to be more like Jesus Christ. Now, we've talked about love a lot here because you do that in church, and we know that love is not primarily about feelings. It has something to do with feelings, of course, but it's not primarily about feelings. It's not primarily just about desire or closeness. Uh, Love doesn't mean that I'm going to agree with everything you say politically, socially, morally, spiritually. It doesn't mean I'm going to affirm your lifestyle politically, morally, spiritually, and, uh, and, and, and all spiritually. It's so much deeper than that. Jesus said it's who we become. It's, it's who we are on the inside. It fills us up and transforms us into his likeness. It becomes uh, just part of who we are. And this concept of love was, from Jesus was so revolutionary, his disciples had to come up with a new name for it, and they did. And you all know what it is, because we talk about that in the church too. It's agape. That was such a rare word in the classic Greek that it was only used one time in one book, the Old Testament translated into the Greek. But when Jesus came on the scene, his love was so huge and so exciting and so full, and he lived it out so well, they had to come up with a word, and they came up with the word agape, and they used it dozens and dozens and dozens of times in the New Testament to describe who he is. It's a deep love. It's not about feelings. It's not something we can turn on and off like a faucet. You know, we do that sometimes. He's easy to love. She's, she's not so easy to love. We do that. To Jesus, it was never like that. To Jesus, to become loving people was a condition of our very being. 
We, we got so caught up in the love God had for us that we actually start, start to sin less, which is good because sin is always in direct opposition to the love of God. And, and not only do we start to sin less, we start to, to, to be less about ourselves and more about the people around us. We start loving everybody, whether they agree with us or not, whether they live like we do or not whether they affirm what we do or not. We love them anyway. And we love people that don't even like us. It's a powerful, wonderful way to live. If somebody's hungry and I'm loving with this kind of love, I'm going to make sure they get something to eat. If somebody's lonely and I'm loving with this kind of love, I'm going to connect with them. I'm going to listen to them. I'm going to make them make sure they, they understand they're not alone. If somebody's discouraged and I'm loving this with this kind of love, then I'm going to encourage them, make sure they feel better. But listen to me, I've been talking about this for a long time. This is, this is courageous love too. Loving like Jesus is tough love right now. For example, if I, you got a little kid, let's say it's my little kid, and he's a spoiled brat. If I'm going to love him the way Jesus loves, what am I going to give him? The wooden spoon's what I'm going to give him. Spare the rod, spoil the child. Oh, Cain, you believe in spanking? Yeah. Yeah. See, this is where this love gets more challenging. If I, if I find somebody's hungry and I give them something to eat, they're going to think I'm a loving person and we're going to connect for a minute. If I see somebody's discouraged and I give them some encouragement, uh, they're going to think I'm loving and we're going to connect for a minute. If I got a little brat and I give him a spanking, he's not going to think I'm loving. He's going to think I'm a meanie head. See, this kind of love I'm talking about, this Jesus love, is challenging. And you've got to have a source for this kind of love that's stable and strong and enable you to kind of to, to love in a risky, confrontational way, especially these days, in a world that's gone mad. Man. Our world is morally mad right now. Our churches have moral madness inside of them. And they need the love and they need the truth of God's Word. And if we're going to speak the Word of God, trust me, I've already found this out on numerous occasions. You speak the Word of God right now, and it's going to cost you. But if we're going to love the way Christ loved, we're not about us. We're about growing them up in love. And if you're going to grow them up in love, you've got to tell them the truth. Now, here's the deal. We can't have this kind of love. It's too risky, especially in our society where we're about everybody and everything. You know what I mean? If you're going to have this kind of love, you're going to have to have some help. That's why Paul wrote in Ephesians 3.17, I pray that you'll be rooted in love. Isn't that a great picture? Rooted like a tree planted in the soil. It's getting all its energy and all its nutrients, all its life. Paul says, I want you to be rooted in your thoughts and your mind and your feelings all the time in the love of God. And I pray that you being rooted and established in his love may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. In other words, Paul's saying, I want you to have the love of God so deep inside of you that you not only stop sinning so much in your life, that you start looking around and seeing people who need Jesus Christ and you lift them up by telling them the truth in Jesus Christ. And let me tell you, this is extraordinarily powerful love. It's powerful, man. It'll change your life and the people around you's lives. It's good stuff. Paul would later say in Romans chapter 12, verse 21, don't be overcome by evil. Overcome evil with good. That's how powerful this love is. It overcomes evil. I don't know if you remember this or not, but about five, six years ago, maybe longer, time goes quick, we did a sermon series here at church on the love languages from Gary Chapman. Remember them? What do you got? Quality time and uh, gift giving and touch. And the one I want to talk to you about this morning is 
words of affirmation. Remember that was one of the love languages? Um, John Ortberg called it the powerful words, this love language stuff. And remember, not everybody's love language is the same. I know that. But it seems like everybody responds to words of affirmation, to loving words, especially loving words from Christ. Um, I know everybody's different. My, even my grandkids at a very young age, you can see they have different love languages. One of my grandkids' love language is gift giving. You give them a gift, they'll love you till the day you die. Yeah, another one of my grandkids is quality time. It, to them, to love them means you give them your undivided attention. One of my grandkids' love language is ice cream. They got their papaw's DNA. You, they spell love I-C-E-C-R-E-A-M. And the more ice cream you give them, the more they love you. That's biblical, by the way. Each one of my grandkids, though, has got a different love language, but they all respond to this one. Everybody loves hearing words of love and giving words of love. Now, they all respond differently. You tell Annabelle, oh, you look good today, honey. That dress really looks good on you. You'll light her up. She just loves that. Those are words to her, you know. Acton, he likes those words, but he responds differently. You look good, buddy. Papa loves you. You got a booger in your nose, Paps. You know, he, he's going to respond a little differently than that. But, but they're all going to respond. And I think to a certain extent, every one of us in here respond to these kind of words. In fact, Solomon said in Proverbs 25, 11, a word aptly spoken is like apples of gold in setting of silver. Isn't that good? Here's what he's saying. The right word at the right time in the right tone to the right person is like gold, man. It's like gold. And haven't you found out that's true? Aaron Miller uh, emailed me last week. Not my son-in-law, Aaron Miller. His sister-in-law, Aaron. Her name's Aaron. And I probably only talked to her five or six times in the years they've been married, and she's never emailed me. She emailed me last week and said she just heard I was retiring in October, and she wanted us to know that they were praying for us, and they, were going to, they listened to my sermons every week, and she just went on and on about how she was praying that God would bless us, and those words just, it came in a perfect time of the day. You know what I'm talking about? They're, they're like apples of gold in setting of silver. And so as we leave here today for Father's Day, I'd like to challenge each of us to use our words of affirmation to, to show the love of Jesus in some specific ways. Here's the first one. I'd like each one of us to just compliment somebody this week. Mark Twain said, I can live two months on one compliment. Now, if that's true, then six compliments a year would keep that guy's uh, love tank at an operational level. So, some, some people just want to have a compliment. And so I'm thinking, you think of somebody in your life right now, uh, a spouse, a kid, a grandkid, somebody you work with, somebody on staff, uh, I don't know, the, the guy that gives you the cup of coffee at Speedway gas station on your way to work every day, and just give them a compliment. Six days this week, you'll fill their, their uh, operational love tank. You'll fill it up, you know what I mean? Now make sure it's sincere. Paul said love must be sincere. And just the fact that he had to tell us to be sincere means that there's a good opportunity that sometimes we're not. I mean, sometimes we use our words to manipulate people, right, to get our way. These two guys, I was talking to these two guys and went out to eat, and they said their server was so over the top. I mean, he said, uh, what would you like? And the guy said, well, I'd like a bowl of soup. Excellent choice, he said. He said, I'd, I'd like a salad with that. Oh, that's fantastic, man, good choice. He said, I ordered my main course, and he said, that is wonderful. And he said, my buddy ordered something else, and he said, oh, that's amazing. 
And he said, what would you like to drink? And I said, cherry Coke. And he said, that's off the charts, dude. You will love our cherry Coke. And he said, it was so over the top, I finally asked this guy. I said, hey, man, do you ever, like, look at somebody and say, that's a stupid choice. What are you, a moron to order something? And the guy said, well, let me tell you what's going on here. He said, back in the kitchen, on both sides of the door, on you, as you go out, there's nine words of affirmation. And as part of our employment, every time somebody orders something, we've got to use one of those words. See, that's not what I'm talking about. That's not sincere compliments. That's stroking somebody's ego so they'll buy more food and come back to your restaurant. And by the way, what kind of low self-esteem society do we live in that they have to pay people to congratulate us on our food orders? Macaroni and cheese, you're a genius, man. You know, what kind of people are we? Now, I'm talking about sincere compliments. Give people, they're, they're like apples of gold in settings of silver. Also, words of encouragement. Think of a person from that category that we talked about earlier, and think of one of the qualities or actions in their life that you really like, and, and tell them that. That color looks good on you. (laughs) I love the way you connect with people. I love the way you work with the kids. I I, I love to hear you speak. You just do such a good job. You're so thoughtful. I was telling the first service, as I was thinking through this last week, I was thinking about Melissa and Brynlyn Shine. I mean, I cannot tell you how many times. they, they, They went to a craft fair about six months ago, and they remembered that I liked cinnamon and I liked licorice, and they bought me a bag of cinnamon licorice and brought it in. Who thinks about their preacher at a craft fair? And her mom and dad, same way. Trina came last week. Uh, her mom, they'd been out shopping, and they found this note page that said the golf father on it. And they thought of me and brought it in. I said, how thoughtful. And I thanked them for service. How thoughtful. When somebody's thoughtful, you ought to thank them that. I was thinking about Aaron Miller, my son-in-law. Anybody in here have any idea what he does for this church? I mean, it's amazing. I cannot tell you. He's got three jobs and raising a family. How many times I've come in here on a Saturday to pick something up or to drop something off, and Aaron's car's here. And I say, what are you doing here? Oh, I'm fixing a light, working on the sound, putting something together for Jackie for Sunday. Constantly working on that. Next time you see him, you've got to thank him for that. I was thinking about Lucas Tate and the other police officers here in Bloomington. What, what a selfless, demanding job they have. Next time you see one, uh, thank them for that. And, and if you see them at Cloverleaf or some other fancy restaurant like that, buy their breakfast, you know, thank them for that. I was thinking about our staff and how I ought to thank them for their wicked sense of humor and how they make me feel good almost every day. Not every day, almost every day. I was thinking about Christy, Christy Webster. She's so goofy, I will never run out of preaching material. You know, thank people for their good qualities and their fun qualities and their happy qualities. And sometimes the best way to give encouragement is just tell somebody you love them. You know? I can't tell you. It's Father's Day. I can't tell you how many times over the years I've had somebody tell me, well, my dad really loves me. He's shown me in a thousand different ways, but he doesn't say it. That's just not who he is. Well, fathers, say it. Your kids need to hear it. Your friends need to hear it. Speak it to them. Don't make them guess. I never had to guess my daddy. He told me he loved me all the time. In the morning, at night, before he whipped me. You know, as he was dying, he told me he loved me. Moms, they tell us they love us all the time. But sometimes you've got to read between the lines. My mom, she was so funny. When I, when I was growing up before golf, I fished and hunted all the time. And we didn't have cell phones yet, so I'd be running late. I'd have to find a, a payphone and call home. And my mom was always thankful. I did that most of the time. But every now, and then, every now and then, I'd forget. And I'd come in, and she'd say, oh, my goodness, you had me worried to death. I was afraid you were lying in a ditch dead someplace. 
Like, not just dead. I was lying. In, if I'd been in a meadow, it would have been okay, but lying dead in a ditch, you know. Or, or she'd say, I was, I was so worried, I was afraid somebody hit you over the head. Like, it wasn't bad enough to hit me. It hit me over the head. And if she was real worried, she'd put those two things together. I was so worried, I was afraid somebody hit you over the head, and you were dead in a ditch someplace, you know. What I mean? But what she was telling me is she loved me. Just tell people. They need to hear it. Encourage them with the things that they do. Uh, another group of words that we should give are humble words. You know what I mean by that, right? I was talking to somebody at church here two weeks ago. It wasn't anything earth-shattering, but we were talking, and it turned into talking about somebody. If you know me, if you know me very long, I don't like gossip. I don't like the traffic in it, but we went in that direction, and I got to thinking about my conversation on the way home, and I called him up and apologized. Uh, being humble means you, you're able to say, I, I goofed up. I was wrong. I'm sorry. That whole list of what love does and doesn't do that Paul writes in that same chapter, love is patient. It's kind. It doesn't envy. It's not rude. It, it doesn't boast. All of those things are the words that we should be using. Uh, Christ's love, we don't have to boast. We, we don't have anything to boast about. We have everything we need for life and godliness. We have a love of the Father that will never go away. So humble words, powerful words. And, and then finally, uh, if we're going to love the way Christ loved, we're, gonna, we're just going to give people Jesus. Straight up Jesus. I mean, I know you all are looking around, and I know you all are seeing what's going on, and it's crazy out there, and the day is coming real soon where the only thing that's going to matter is Jesus Christ. It's coming real soon. That day is real soon. And so what people in our life need right now more than anything else is Jesus Christ, the truth of who he is and what he offers. And our words are powerful. I know they are. But the words of God are mighty powerful. And our friends and family need to hear these words. For God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son, that whosoever believed in him would not perish, but I have powerful, everlasting life. But the world needs to hear the next verse, John three seventeen. For the Son didn't come into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Anyone who does not believe the Son stands condemned already because he did not believe in God's one and only Son. It's time to tell the truth at every level. And trust me, as somebody who knows, if you speak the truth right now in this society, it is going to cost you. Because people want to do what people want to do, and they don't want to hear the truth. But the truth we have is liberating, and we need to tell it. Andrea uh, was on her way home last week with Oliver, my three-year-old grandson, and they were listening to Christian music, and so Jesus came up in one of the songs, and this is my three-year-old. He says, Mommy, is that the same Jesus that lives in my heart? She said, Yes, buddy, it is. Does Jesus live in your heart? And he said, Yes, Mommy, he's fixing my heart. She said, Yes, son, he's fixing everybody's heart. Our Savior is a heart specialist. That's what he does for a living. Transforms them, changes them, makes them new, gives them eternity. Those are words we need to be taking. And, and by the way, this is love, right? While we were yet sinners, the Bible says Christ died for us. While we're still doing all the things we weren't supposed to do, he still died for us anyway. So this morning, as you're popping the top on this, and you eat a piece of bread, you remember the body that was broken for you. 
Thank him for the love that took. And, and then you flip the thing over and you, and you drink the juice. It reminds you of his blood as you drink that. If you don't know who Jesus is and you've not accepted him as your personal Lord and Savior, man, I wish you'd come and talk to me. I'll tell you about a deep love that nobody can ever take, nobody can ever match. Come and spend some time with him.